spent a lot of time talking about it, but I, I feel like uh, sharing just a bit of it. He says, we are in a place where this new era that we're walking in, this is something the Lord gave me several months ago. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please come and ask me afterwards because I've talked enough about it that everybody should know what I'm talking about. We've entered in to a new era of the uh, kingdom of God itself. And uh, he spoke a word just the other day, and um, he sent it to me. He felt I could uh, use it. This is what the Lord is doing right now in the kingdom, not just in individual places. This is what's going on right now is he is allowing uh, things to overwhelm us mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually even. So, and it's only to draw us to God Amen. for utter dependence. So as we're moving into this place, you know, sometimes things are going, we feel is wrong, but it might be that it's just going right because it's leading us to the right place. Amen. Amen. To the foot uh, of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we might have to go right back to the foot of the cross and revisit our repentance. But whatever we need to do, we're going right back to Jesus. So if you're feeling overwhelmed today, we're going to speak understanding into your heart, understanding by the Spirit. Can you pray with me? Amen, Lord God. Just like the psalm says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to you, Lord God. Lead me to the Lord. Lord God, if there's situations that are overwhelming us mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, or in any other way, Lord God, cause it to lead me to you. Lord God, cause us to embrace it. To have compassion yes, on others. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. But in the meantime, Lord Jesus, be more focused on you than I ever have, than we ever have, than my family's ever been. Lord God, more focused on you. More focused on your work, on your, your will, on your purpose in these last and evil days. Lord God, thank you for bringing us to such a time as this. Thank you for bringing us to times of prayer and fasting. Lord God, thank you for allowing us to be put down as a gazing stock. Lord God, hallelujah, Lord God, thank you for letting us be out there for the world to see you in us. But lead us to you, Lord God. Lead us back to the cross if you need to. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that this understanding settled in our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Glory to you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus, and worship you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, and I thank you for it, Lord God. I thank you for it, Lord God. I thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, if you hang around with me a little bit, you'll hear me talking about religion and tradition. And I don't apologize for that. I have desired in my life to get rid of all religious traditions. Having said that, there are some traditions that are Okay, we have personal family traditions. We have social traditions, right? Um, 
We could probably now that fireworks are legal in Rhode Island, we could probably blow them off all year long, right? But we typically still only blow them off around 4th of July. It's a tradition. I mean, uh, the fireworks stores are open right now. We can go and get them and we can light them in the middle of the room if we want. We're not going to do that. Don't, don't worry, guys. We're not going to burn your toes on. But there's cer certain traditions that are harmless. There's certain traditions that are anything but. And that's where we got to be in the spirit for. That's why we got to be in the word to find out which ones are not no good for us and which ones are good for us. Paul even goes so far as to say, keep the traditions that I give you. Mm -hmm. So there are some things that we keep, mm -hmm. even according to the word. Some things we do. There's other things that we don't do in a physical way, but we remember it. We elevate it in the name of Jesus. You have your Bibles. Uh, we're just going to do things different today, and, and that's all right. If you're not all right with it, by the time we leave here, you'll be all right. All right? Praise God. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to read right off from the beginning of the chapter. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. And it shall be the first month of the year to you. Of course, we all know he's talking about January. No, no, he's actually not. Uh, January is named after the two-headed Roman god Janus that could look forward and look backward at the same time. We're not talking about a pagan goddess, okay? We're talking about the month that uh, happens around springtime when the winter harvest, especially the barley, begins to come in. They uh, would pay attention to these things. We're told from the first page of our Bible that the sun, moon, and stars are there, especially sun and moon, are there for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. That word seasons also means festival times. It's Moedim, and that's what the word they use for festival times. We're not Jewish. We don't keep these festivals. Uh, tonight, I, I don't figure that many of you are going to go have a Passover Seder, you know, and if you were going to do that, you probably would have done that a couple of nights ago anyway, because that's when the calendar said Passover is. It's all right. We, I don't need a uh, a uh, Julian calendar, and I don't need a Gregorian calendar, either one to tell me when to do things God's way. But one was an evil pagan emperor, and the other one was a pope. So I don't need either one of those guys, right? In fact, he was a pagan pope. <laughs> he did a lot of good with the calendar that we use today. It's a very good calendar. It's a very accurate calendar according to the motion of the earth around the sun. That's great. It gives us a, a sense of time. But we don't use that to tell us what to do in God's world. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. So the vast majority of Christianity today is using the E word for today. And I don't want to hear that word in this place. Because that's also the name of a pagan goddess. Okay? And you know what the E word we're talking about, right? I don't care if she's happy or not. So I don't want to bless her because we're supposed to be getting rid of gods out of our life. But what we do have is we have an Old Testament story, right? Amen. 
And we have a New Testament story. And we have a personal story. Don't we? We have a family story. We have a church story. We have a story of one day when God convicted us of sin. And if you don't have that story yet, then get one. <laughs> Somebody work with me. Praise God. Get one. Get a story. Amen. There's got to be a day where the Lord shows up in our lives and convicts us of sin. Well, we lay ourselves down in sacrifice before him, recognizing that he laid himself down in sacrifice for us. We'll read this in just a minute. I've heard so many modern-day pastors say, well, I don't want to focus on the Lord's death. I want to focus on his resurrection. That's fine. We can focus on the resurrection every single day of our life. I don't go so far as to wear a cross around my neck because I don't think that... Uh, it's necessarily an honor to the Lord God to wear the crucifixioner's emblem around my neck. Besides that, it's an old, old symbol long before the cross, and it was used for pagan things, so I don't use that symbol. Mm -hmm. And if you feel a connection to it, then fine. Uh, pray about that, though. We don't need anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. The flesh will profit nothing. According to the Lord, according to Paul, according to most of these writers. Amen? Amen. We're seeing that this month, not talking about a calendar month, but this month is, is what's going to set us in for the year. It's going to set us up for the harvest in our life. And I know most of us, well, none of us here are any kind of a farmer or anything like that. We're, we're, we're not occupied that way. But in those days they were. Everything about their life, everything about their seasons came from God. And we should, as the people of God, everything in our season should be coming from God. We should not be trusting in the world's economy anyway. We should be making friends with the mammon of unrighteousness. Using it for the Lord's glory. Amen? Hallelujah. He goes on to say... Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take unto them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of their houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh of it in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. He goes on to say, don't let anything um, go to waste. In verse 11 it says, And thus shall he eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. We know the story. We've learned it in Sunday school. So very briefly, we're going to talk about this. In the days of Israel, on the very last plague that the Lord was bringing on the land of uh, Egypt. Sorry, I said Israel. In the land of Egypt. We know that the children of Israel were in that land as slaves under bondage. The Lord came in. He was rescuing them out of that place. 
He sent a bunch of plagues to soften the land, if you will. Also, it destroyed the land. It destroyed all of their crops, destroyed all of their cattle. It destroyed anything of worth. Before they left, they took lots of gold and jewels and stuff from the people of the land. Uh, the firstborn uh, was slated to die on the very last one. And the night that this happened, that death angel passed through the entire land and killed every firstborn of every house that did not have the blood applied. Now the reason why I'm going right back to the beginning of that chapter in Exodus is because we, uh, if you know anything about this story, we focus heavily upon the time where they actually left Egypt, where they actually had the lamb, that dinner, that night. And we, we focus heavily upon that, but it starts off, if you remember what we just read, it starts off on the 10th day. Anybody remember us just reading that? On the 10th day of the month. Today happens to be according to the, the actual sighting of the, the new month and the new year. This happens to be the 14th day of day. And that's the reason why we're talking about this today. We don't do it by, just because, oh, we got to do it because it's that, uh, mainly because the Spirit said, let's... Let's use this as a launching place. Amen? Anybody with me on that? Anybody feeling the Holy Ghost at all? Praise God. Using it as a launching place. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians. You can go ahead and turn there. But before we start reading that, I want to talk a little bit more about this. It's on the 10th day. On the 10th day. What did they do on the 10th day? They took the lamb out of their flock. They were taking a perfect lamb, a lamb that had to be within its first year of life. It had to be a male. Now here it says it could be either a lamb or a goat. Traditionally, it was always a lamb. But if you didn't have a lamb, you could use a goat even for this. They would take it into their home. They would examine it for four days. If you'll remember when Jesus came in to Jerusalem... Uh, that last week before his death, or uh, the week before his resurrection anyway, you see that everybody examined him. The Pharisees examined him. The Sadducees examined him. Uh, all the people, the scribes, the lawyers, his own disciples even examined him. What was going on? It was during that 10 days, uh, rather that four days between the 10th day of the month and the 14th day of the month, that they were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They were showing that he was the perfect lamb, right? And this is what they did. They literally brought this thing into their home. Normally animals stayed out in the barn, right? Out in the stables, out somewhere. But they would bring this thing into their home. Uh, in modern traditions, they were actually encouraged to name it, make a pet out of it, so that when dad took that lamb up to the temple, it meant something when that lamb was dying. It meant something. It hurt. This is something that, uh, you know, this is now part of the family. This is something special. We looked at it. We examined it. We played with it. We, we, we uh, fed it from our own hands at times. It became a part of us. And after all this, after four days of close living with this thing, uh, we're just going to kill it. But the whole purpose was to make an impact. This was not just another lamb. This was the lamb. And they did this every year and they encouraged their children to ask questions. 
It should mean something. It should mean something to us. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how uh, much experience you have with God. It should mean something. His death should mean something to you every day. Honestly, when we start thinking of these things, it should start bringing a tear to our eyes to think about the righteous lamb, the only one that never needed to die, died for me. He died for my sins, past, present, and future. Every time I have a rotten attitude about something, the Lord died even for that. Because more often than not, a rotten attitude leads you to sin. True. Come on, I'm going to lay it I'm gonna lay down extra thick today, folks. This is the day to do it. Paul, talking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Read some things that are not very comfortable to read. In verse number 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. The world's condemned, folks. The world's condemned because they will not take the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody hearing me? Amen. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I don't have to. If they reject the light and rather be in darkness, they're condemned. But he's telling us we need to examine ourselves. And it sounds like on a regular basis. And we'll read the other verses a little later if, if the Lord leads us to. But on a regular basis, he says... Listen, as often as you do it, this should be a remembrance. He said, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. So, yes, we are remembering his death. We are remembering and showing this is what we're actually told to do. Now, are we not supposed to remember the resurrection? Of course we are. He goes on in just three chapters. And the whole chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Amen. Chapter 15 of this same book is all about the resurrection. Paul's not forgetting the resurrection. We don't just remember the death and forget the resurrection, but we also don't remember the resurrection and forget the death. We don't, we don't forget just, a, or we don't remember just a death either. I believe we should remember that 10th day as well, the day that Jesus came into our life. Come on, do you remember the day the Lamb came into your home? Do you remember the day where the, the knocking on the door was happening? Amen. Well, Jesus is still knocking. He, he's still knocking on the land to see his door. Amen. He's saying, if you just let me in, I'll come in and have a meal with you. But too often, Christians of any ilk, spirit-filled and non-spirit-filled alike, traditional and non-traditional alike, old world, new world, Catholic, Protestant, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. 
Christians everywhere, we humans everywhere, we'd rather just sit down and obey a, a, an ordinance. I know I said this the other day, I'll say it again just because it disgusted me so much. We just heard of a, of a preacher, a pastor, he's got all of his sermons for the next year and a half laid out in order. He knows exactly what he will be preaching for the next year and a half. Why does that bother me so much? Because I can tell you right now, that's a man that does not have the Holy Ghost. That is a man that does not want the Holy Ghost. He does not want the leading of the Holy Ghost. He does not want the living God in his life. He just wants to do what's on his schedule. He wants to perform a religious duty, and he wants to get a religious paycheck. And that's what he's in it for. That kind of stuff disgusts me. And, uh, you know, I have no respect for a man of God of that ilk. I don't. Listen, the Bible says, give double honor to those who preach and teach the word. Well, as far as I'm concerned, if you got your word laid out for the next year and a half, you're not even preaching or teaching the word. You're preaching and teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. And God has no respect for that. And he doesn't expect me to because it's not even the word. It's certainly not the word delivered by the spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing we want to do today. Just because it happens to be the day of Passover. We don't want to just get in here and give you some slick Passover message. We want to get right down to the heart of the matter. That's what it says in Hebrews, right? The word of the Lord God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide asunder. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring a divider. I came to bring something that comes out of my mouth that's going to separate people into two camps. The people that are serious about God and the people that just want to play around. The people that just want a free sandwich and the people that want me. The people that just want my hand and my power and the people that want a relationship with me. And the question today is, who are you? Who are you and what are you about and what are you doing for God? What are you doing for God right now? What do you plan to do for God? Come on, we have the Holy Ghost not just to fill a trickle down our spine during church. Praise God. And I know no one's filling those trickles right now. I get it because the preaching is coming kind of hard. But listen, we are in a season. We are in a time. And it is perfect to have a message like this. Because when we are feeling the pressures of life coming to us. And when we're feeling the world giving us our schedule. And we're feeling the voice of the people coming at us. And saying this is how you ought to be. And this is how you ought to do it. Either we can get stubborn and rebellious and say no one's going to tell me what to do. Or we're going to humble ourselves before God and say only you are going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. But we can't brag about that unless we're in the spirit. Mm-hmm. We can't brag about doing the will of God if we're just operating in our flesh, folks. Mm-hmm. He tells us. Paul tells us, and we'll read the rest of this stuff later maybe. We're going to do some communion today. It's a perfect day for it. Uh, the Lord told me three weeks ago, started telling me communion. So I was going to do it that Sunday. He said, no way. Next Sunday, no way. Next Sunday, no way. I didn't even, hadn't even looked at the, the, the astronomical signs yet. You know, I, had, I know that sounds weird to say. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm not into all that astrology stuff. Okay, but I hadn't even paid attention to the actual days yet. To know that today would be Passover. The Lord said, today's the day. 
So that's a perfect day. And we're going we're gonna to have a word out of John chapter 6 a little later. But right now, we're going to spend some time examining ourselves in the Holy Ghost by the Word. We're going to let the Word come up before us as a mirror. That's what both Paul and James both says. They compare the Word of God to a mirror, right? Well, Paul is actually comparing the Spirit to a mirror. James is comparing the Word to the mirror. But it's the same. Word and Spirit. It reflects, right? It shows us who we are if we will just look. Listen, I'm looking for some brave people here today. I'm looking for some bold people here today that will be willing to lay aside your concerns, lay aside your desires, lay aside your schedule, lay aside your flesh, and just say, Lord God, I want to see. I want to see what you see. I want to see me like you see me. I want to be brave enough to see if there's any dark places. Folks, I'm encouraging you to do this. But I'm telling you straight up, if you play games with God today, he's not going to be happy with you. If you go into this prayer thinking, I know there's nothing wrong with me, you're the very person God's talking to. I've got my eyes closed, so I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody, but through the Spirit, I'm talking to someone here today. That in your heart, you've already decided, I haven't done anything wrong. You better get on your face before God today. That's what the Lord is telling you. Don't you play games with God. I'm not just talking to people that are here today. I'm talking to people that might be uh, zooming in with us too. Come on, just because you're behind the camera and I can't see your face doesn't mean I don't feel your spirit. Don't you hide behind that video and just think that this word doesn't apply to me. If you're on here today because it's because it's the Lord allows you to come on here today to hear these words. Do not play games with God. Come on, let's, let's move into a position of prayer. I'm going to pray for a little while. Just like Paul said, let's let our, our, uh, ourselves be examined. Let's examine ourselves. You judge yourself. Come on, be harsh with yourself. Hold yourself up to the Word and to the Spirit and see where you lack. And whatever you need to repent of, you repent of it today. You let it go today. If you've got something against somebody, you let it go today. <clears throat> John chapter 6 is another one. He's had me other places, and I've read, I've read all over the place. Of course, you know, we shouldn't go very long without reading a lot of Word, honestly, folks. We, we should be, every week that passes by our life, we should be well, well into the Word, right? But there's certain places that the Lord just keeps having me go. He just keeps having me go to Matthew. I'm, I'm going to look at John chapter 6 as our main text, but... Uh, I'm looking at Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is talking here. We've talked a lot about this chapter over the last several weeks. But in this place, he said in verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. brought me back to that passage today. We, we're reading it out of context, which is something I don't do uh, often. I'm doing it today just for time's sake. There's a lot of good things that we can bring out 
of this passage, but we're going to talk here just a minute about offenses. Jesus says to us, he's talking to his disciples. At the beginning of that chapter, it says, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a little child, and he makes, he makes an example out of the child. And so we know he's talking specifically to his followers. And he says, listen, guys, woe unto the world because of offenses. He says, woe unto the world. He's, he's laying down a principle. I want you to understand, the world's not going to get away with the offenses that they give you. The world's not going to get away with the offenses that they give to my children. We should rejoice in that. Amen? Amen. Now we're told, don't rejoice so much that you have power of the devil. Rejoice rather that your name is written in heaven, right? There's better things to rejoice about, but come on. We all have that thing in our heart. Uh, we all have that at least from time to time. We have that feeling of, Lord God, I, I wish you would just get them. I wish you would go after that, that neighbor who is treating me wrong. I wish you'd go after that family member that just refuses to listen to you and have done everything in their power to... To depress me and make me anxious and ostracize me from my natural family. Come on, I'm talking to somebody here. Or somebody online. Or how about that boss at work, right? <laughs> Lord God, sometimes we just want to be like, oh God, this man's unrighteous. This woman is unrighteous. They're not treating the child of God right. Get him. We see King David. How long? How long? Don't remember those passages where he's like, Lord God, are you just going to let these people get away? How about Asaph, right? Psalm 73. Listen, are you going to get these guys or not? And Jesus says, you know, woe unto the world because of offenses. Peter says, God is not slack concerning his promises as the world counts slackness, Right? But he's long-suffering. He's not willing for any to perish. He's trying to give everybody a chance to make it right. We know everybody won't. But he's trying to make it right. He's trying to give them a chance so that when they stand in front of him one day, there's not a single soul that has ever been born, that has ever come to the age of accountability, that will be able to stand before the throne of God and say, I didn't know any better. No one. I don't know how all that works, but... Thank God he's God and not me, right? right? Woe unto the world because of offenses for it. It must needs be. Everybody say needs be. Needs be. You know, Jesus said something very similar, or at least John wrote something very similar in John chapter 4. He must needs go through Samaria. Anybody remember that passage? Mm -hmm. yeah. There was something about it. what they Jews weren't supposed to walk up there. They weren't supposed to defile themselves with that land. These half-breed, you know, counterfeit religionites over here. You know, these dirty half-Gentiles. We don't even want to walk through their land. And yet, in John chapter 4, it said he needed to go through there. He needed to meet a woman there 
He needed to go to Sychar. He needed to be right at that well that Jacob dug at Shechem, right? He needed to meet her. She was the key to that city. She went out. She told everybody, brought everybody to him. They had a couple of days of revival amongst the Samaritans. And that was well before Peter ever went to Samaria and saw revival in Samaria. That was well before James, uh, rather John and Peter went down there and laid their hands on them. And those folks started getting the Holy Ghost. Jesus was there with them first, right? He needed to go through there. He needed to, in the eyes of all of his brother, uh, brothers and sisters in Judaism, to see him as defiled and unclean. He needed to look bad, even in the face of his own disciples. Because some of those guys, doubtless, that doubtless would have been like, what on earth is he doing? See, sometimes we're afraid to look bad in front of our own people. I can say that as a pastor. Uh, the last thing I want you to ever see is any weakness in me. The last thing I ever want you to see is, is any failure or fault or, or anything like that in me. And God forbid any sin in me. You hear me? Listen, from a leader's standpoint, I want you to see me strong. And I, I want you to see me capable. And I want you to see me powerful. I want you to see me deliver the word of God with power. And I want you to see me work in the spirit with power. And that's, that's what I want you to take home with me and say, hey, he's a man of the spirit and he's a man of the word. That's what I want you to think of me. And there's sometimes the Lord says, humble yourself before in front, right in front of your own people. I don't want to look bad in front of my daughter. I don't want to be humble before her. I'm supposed to be her dad. I'm supposed to be a source of strength in her life. But there's sometimes my little girl sees me get down and break down and just start crying at times. And it breaks her little heart too. Daddy, why are you crying? Sometimes it's just got to happen. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to risk the displeasure of his own boys, right? Mm -hmm. Walking through that because they wouldn't have understood. Why is he going here? He even told us before he didn't come for these people, mm -hmm. right? He came for the Israelites. And yet he's going through Samaria. Mm -hmm. Here again, Jesus uses similar language. Now it's Jesus himself talking. For it must needs be. That's an old way of saying you need some offenses to come into your life. Is that really what he's saying? Yeah, that's really what he's saying, folks. Now, it doesn't discount what he just said. Whoa to those. And it doesn't discount what he's about to say. But woe to that man to whom the offense cometh. It doesn't discount that stuff. But what he's saying is there's times that we need to be offended. There's times that we need to have our stuff challenged. There's times that we need something to smack us right in the head to make sure we got that helmet on fixed, right? There's sometimes we need something to ping off the breastplate that covers our hearts, right? There's sometimes that we need to get a rocking mace just slammed into our shield of faith to make sure it's in the right position and make sure we keep it up in the right position. Offense has to come. To make sure you've got the armor on. And make sure you are wielding the word the right way. Praise God. Because you can fool around with the word of God. And slice your foot off. 
Come on, there's only one thing a sword is for, right? Mm -hmm. a, sword, a sword is an implement of warfare. It's an implement of death. It can't be used as a tool to go out and chop wood. It's not designed for that. You go try to chop some logs with a sword, you will ruin that sword within just a few hits. I mean, it's not designed to cut up your beef, right? You know, it's not a butcher's weapon. Okay? It is designed for warfare. We have a sword that is designed for warfare. And we've got to be trained in its use. We've got to learn how to fight the devil with the word of God. We, you know, the word of God, that sharp two-edged sword, is shown to come out of the Lord's mouth, right? Mm -hmm. We know, according to Ephesians chapter 6, that it is the word of God. It's the word which he speaks. Mm -hmm. Amen? Yeah. So we know that when we're fighting the devil, we've got to learn how to open our mouths and begin to speak. Thus saith the Lord, from the word made alive by the spirit, in order to fight the devil. And the, Jesus is saying here, offenses have to come into our life to make us ready, to make us understand this is real. This is real life. This is not a game. This is not a religion. This is not just some service. When you have something coming against you in your life, oftentimes it is the devil messing with you. But here's the thing. The devil's tricky. He's tricky. Deuteronomy 13 even tells us if you have a man uh, that comes along and he gives you prophecies and he gives you dreams and everything works out right and everything he, everything he says happens exactly the way he says it, you pay attention to what he says worship, right? If he leads you astray from the worship of the one true God, you kill that man. It don't matter how many miracles he performs. doesn't matter how many prophecies he gives and it comes forth to be true. You watch his life and see if he's leading you according to the word and spirit. Now, it doesn't say that in Deuteronomy 13. I'm putting that in. But that's what it's talking about. You can read Deuteronomy 13 on your own later if you like. He tells us in Matthew chapter 7, you'll know them by their fruit. He's talking specifically about false prophets. You'll know them about their, how, how their character is. You'll know... Uh, how they live their life. You'll know them by what they're doing and how they're acting. You'll know them when you realize that they're not themselves putting on a show. When you, when you realize they're living according to the word of God, they're endorsing. They're not just there to make a name for themselves or get money for themselves or to uh, manipulate and control people. Everybody with me? He says, watch them. Watch them. Watch them. Just judge them by the Spirit. Don't judge them according to the sight of your eyes or the hearing of your ears. Judge in the fear of the Lord, in meekness, right? Mm -hmm. Judge according to the fear of the Lord. If you want to know where I'm going with that, that's Isaiah chapter 11. But let's move into John 6 here today. We're going to look at verse number 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Now this is not the time of Passover. This is not the time of uh, unleavened bread. It's not the time of first fruits. It's not the time of Pentecost. It's not uh, even the time of tabernacles. This is a time 
where Jesus is in Capernaum. He's up in the Galilee. He's well north of Jerusalem. It says at um, earlier, it gives us uh, verse number four. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews was not. First of all, in the oldest manuscripts, that passage wasn't even there. In a lot of the other manuscripts, it just says a feast of the Jews was not. It does not say Passover. But it just happens in the Codex Vaticanus. If you don't know what that is, that is the standard of all Greek manuscripts that people lay everything else against to make sure everything's right, you know, with all these other fragmented manuscripts out there. Uh, the Vaticanus, uh, Codex Vaticanus says Passover. Well, we know this is not Passover for one reason. Jesus was a man of the word. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the word. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Jesus' words are spirit in their life. Amen? Amen? Praise God. And Jesus was born under the law. He was born of a woman under the law, right? Yeah. He fulfilled all of the law. He didn't do anything that would break any of his own word law or the universe would have imploded, in my opinion. If the word of life that was sent down from the Almighty God to come into this physical world, if the very embodiment, the fleshly embodiment of the word of God had ever broken one jot or one tittle out of the law, I think this whole thing would have just gone whoop, whoop, and we would have winked out of existence because he cannot cut against himself. Now, I know the word that says he calls those things which were not as though they were. I understand that. But he also said, I came to fulfill. Right? I didn't came to destroy. Come to destroy. And if it says in his word that every male above the age of 20 is to be in Jerusalem for these specific feasts, then guaranteed Jesus would have been in Jerusalem for the Passover. So we know in this passage, he's up in Capernaum. This is not Passover. I'm making that point just to say this is actually around the day of resurrection because he says it about six times. The last day or the day of resurrection or he will raise them up at the last day. We're talking down in the fall time when everybody was watching for the seventh month moon. They were, they were watching for the first sliver of the moon in the sky to let them know the feast of trumpets was here. And when they got those two witnesses, they would send the report up to the mountain. Uh, the, the temple mount and the high priest would get, uh, gather their reports and would cause them to blow the trumpet and the entire land of Israel would know within minutes that it's now the feast of trumpets it's now feast time it was a day and hour no one knew and he's talking to these people in Capernaum about these kind of things but he's talking about within six months of his life that he's going to be laying down his body he's going to be pouring out his blood and he's preparing them he even said at one point, Capernaum, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were seen in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they never would have been destroyed because those people would have repented. He did a lot of awesome stuff in Capernaum. In fact, in Capernaum, if you really study out the life of Jesus, you find out he did, he did a lot of good stuff there because people actually believed him there. But what happens over in Nazareth all they could see was, this is just Jesus, right? So he was not able to do many wonderful works there. He healed a few people. So we can bring this into our current situation. Why aren't more people getting healed in the house of God? It's a belief issue. 
They don't believe it. Let it not be so, Lord God. Help us to believe you. There's a lot of times we think we believe God, but really what we're believing is our own set of approved doctrines. Our own manufactured religion. Had a man in the church years ago, he had been gone for a little while, he came back. First thing he said to me was, I hate religion. I hate religion. And I looked at him, I didn't know what to say. All I said was, me too. But later, in prayer, I was like, what was that for? The Lord said, he loves religion. He was lying. He loves religion. He just hates every other religion but his own. He likes his religion. So just, just because we don't necessarily follow along in every detail, apostolic religion doesn't mean we don't have religion. Just because we don't adhere to the mother church and accept the Pope as Christ's vicar on earth that doesn't mean we can't be religious. Right? Well, we can be religious. It might just be a religion designed for one. And when we're more into sometimes we confuse ourselves because we let the devil deceive us. What, we th what we're really putting our faith in is in our religion. That's the reason why we need to go before Jesus all the time and just examine ourselves. He says to these folks in Capernaum now. Now, that, now, Capernaum had already seen a lot of good stuff up to this point already. If you compare it to the other Gospels. Now, we're early in the book of John. But if you compare the other Gospels, they, they show Jesus more in the Galilee than John does. Okay? John shows him mostly down in Jerusalem with a few passages like this. One passage in Samaria, passage like this up in Capernaum, uh, other places like that. But very few. Most of the time it's in Jerusalem. Whereas the other Gospels, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, doesn't matter. You don't have to know that word. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that shows him mostly up in the Galilee areas or over across the Jordan, things like that. They all kind of come together at the end in Jerusalem. Everybody okay so far? Yep. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. He's talking to these guys in Capernaum. And he's even telling them, you're not really believing what I'm saying. Verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath, uh, that hath sent me. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Now you'll, you'll notice that just a few weeks ago we read out of verse 29. Then Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. He says, that's the work. If you want to know what work to get involved in, to get involved with believing the one that was sent. Amen? Amen? Later on he says, and this is the Father's will that has sent me. Now we know what his will is. We know that his, the will, doing the will of God, according to John 4, 34, is something that he told to that woman at the well. He says, the will, or my, actually he was talking to his disciples in John 4, 34. He says, the, my meat is to the, do the will of him that sent me. Amen? Yep. Everybody with me? Yep. Now he's saying here to these guys, same thing. 
This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Well, that kind of confuses us. Because there's a lot of people that we've known that have come to the Lord, that they have gotten baptized in Jesus' name, that they have been filled with the Holy Ghost, they have come to the house of God, they have repented of their sins, they have gotten on board and started living a holy life. Come on, every single one of us in this room probably knows someone who, who fits this description, who came in, fulfilled all that, and walked out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? John chapter, First uh, John rather, chapter 2 says, if they'd have been of us, then surely they would have remained with us. Right? First John chapter 2. What he's saying, what that writer is saying, who's also writing these words down of Jesus, he's, he's saying, listen, there's some people that look like they're part of Jesus' crew, but they're not. Jesus is going to say that about his own people in just a few minutes. Notice, verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have an everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So he's saying that two times in a row. He's saying, the will is that everyone my Father's given me, I will lose none of them. Well, that seems weird because it seems like Jesus has lost a lot. And passages like this have gotten some men into very false doctrine of predestination and things like this. Well, God knows exactly who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And there's going to be a lot of people that look like they're saved. And they're not going to be saved. But it's not because of some pre-programmed uh, thing. Like, okay, I'm going to let these guys think they're saved for 50 years and then I'm going to kick them into hell. Surprise! That's not what God's doing. What he's doing for 50 years while they're sitting on a pew in church, he's saying, repent, believe, serve me, do my will, seek my face, get to know me. For 50 years he's saying it to them. <coughs> Knowing the whole time. Now this is just because he knows doesn't mean he chose, right? He knew all the time they wouldn't. But they will stand before him and he will not uh, uh, allow them to say, you fooled me. You told me that all I had to do is repent and get baptized in Jesus' name and babble on the tongues a little bit and I'm good to go. The Lord will say, did I tell you that? Or did religion tell you that? Did my word tell you that? Well, that's what pastor preach. I'll deal with pastor later. But for right now, you have the word, you have the spirit. Why didn't you know it? Why didn't you know me? Verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, it is not, that, it is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Now, this disease is spreading from Nazareth. Now into a place where they've already seen miracles, right? Seen people getting healed, seen wonderful things. It's now starting to spread outward from Nazareth into places like this. And they're starting to say the same things of him. See, the devil's a good evangelist too. He's not really an evangelist because he's not spreading good news. But he is a good spreader of news and it's always bad. 
So Jesus sends people out to, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. they, the devil doesn't do the same thing? Yes, he does. He always sends them out with voices of gossip. He always sends them out as false witnesses. He always sends them out as he said, she said. As false witness according to the ninth commandment, right? Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. We know that we are not, that we shall not bear false witness. I'll tell you what false witness is. If you didn't see it and you didn't hear it with your own eyes and ears, then you cannot repeat it. If you do, it is false witness because you did not witness it. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen? Well, I know it's true because my Aunt Sally, she said it and... And, and Uncle Joe, he said it too. And I know they're trustworthy people. And I know they're always right. No, they're not. Let God be true. And every man a liar. Right. Our memories get faulty. You know, even investigators don't like to interview someone after 60 minutes of an event happening. Because they know even as little time as 60 minutes, their memory starts shifting. Mm -hmm. They've done experiments on people. Well, they brought, bring them back after witnessing something after a week. And more... Often than not, their story is different after a week. They, they saw it. They got interviewed immediately, laid down the report. A week later, okay, tell me what you see. They have a different report. Are they lying? They're not necessarily lying, but they've had a week for their thoughts and emotions and their feeling, their own interpretations and their own worldviews to impose itself upon their memories. And so when they come back and give their report, now it's different than what they witnessed firsthand. So even a witness is not trustworthy. That's why in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, right? Yeah. So a lot of times when we hear false witness, we just think lying, someone who's lying. It's a lot more than lying. It's repeating something you didn't actually see, even if you thought it was from a trustworthy source. Mm -hmm. The devil sends out his, his gossipers, mm -hmm. his tail bearers, right? He sends out his folks to say, oh, well, he couldn't really be that important. I mean, my goodness, I remember when Mary changed his diapers. I even helped one time. It couldn't be all that. You're going to say he's from heaven. That guy's got a little too big for his britches. He's the bread from heaven. Well, it's easy for us to think that they're a bunch of morons. Because we're 2,000 years later. We believe in Jesus, right? But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll let these things happen to us. The Thessalonian church, the church there at Thessalonica, it was a good church. It was a church that Paul spent no more than three weeks with, and he was telling them things about the rapture and all kinds of wonderful things of God. And, uh, you know, he, he got into a deep, he's only there for a few weeks. And even to them, he said, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying, Right? Anybody remember that? Yeah. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 42. Verse 43 rather. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Would you please stop your lip? <laughs> there, there, there's sometimes the Lord is saying, Open your mouth. Proclaim. Declare. Thank the Lord. Praise God. Amen? Yeah. There's other times he, he just tells us, Will you please shut up? If you don't have anything good to say, then keep your mouth shut. Verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Why does he keep saying this? Well, I'll give you a hint, because it's the day of resurrection. It's the Feast of Trumpets. 
Jesus has just come through feeding the 5,000. He's just come through walking on the water. Miraculously, they're at the shore. And these people are going, oh, where did he go? You know, how'd you get here? And uh, they're following him. And he's like, you guys just want another free sandwich. <laughs> but you don't understand what this is all about. This is all to lead you to the last day. Come on, somebody, it'll make you feel good. Say last day with me. Last day. He's leading us to the last day. And what does he want to do? What is the will of God uh, uh, for us? What is my Father's will for me on that last day? That I would be raised up. I've been talking, my daughter's got a lot of serious questions these days. She's, tell, she's telling me I want to be baptized. She's understanding. I mean, she's real tears rolling down her face uh, when she's contemplating the Lord dying for us. And this morning she said, can I do communion too? Did she do communion? She wanted to do it. I, I made sure that she understood what it was, that this wasn't just a child uh, game for her. But with real tears uh, rolling down her cheeks, she's sorrowing and letting her heart be broken uh, knowing that Jesus died for her sins. Wanting to be baptized. I think she's a little afraid to get in the tank. So she keeps saying, when I'm six, I'll be baptized. I'll be baptized when I'm six. You know. But talking about things like death and talking about things, will, will, will Jesus come back before I die? I said, I don't know. I would have thought that Jesus would have come back before now. I was told all my life that I, I wouldn't have a life because Jesus was going to come back. Well, here I am. I'm turning 50 this year. <laughs> I've lived almost half a century. And he still hasn't come back. And now I'm starting to think, Lord, are you going to come back next year? Seven years? Ten years? Twenty years? When's it going to be? I don't know. I'm, and so she's asking me, will you still be alive when he comes back? I said, I don't know. So I basically just said, listen, Let's think about it this way. Let's just say. I said, we don't know. But let's just pretend for a minute. It probably won't be this long. But let's just pretend. Jesus won't come back for another 50 years. I said, more than likely, you and your mom, uh, me and your mom, are not going to be here anymore. More than likely, we will die before 50 years is out. So we don't know that. Hey, I, I said, I would be 99 years old. I could live that long. I just don't suspect that I will. That's up to the Lord. And you, so I said, your mother and I, we'd probably, we'd probably be gone by that time. I said, but you, you stand a good chance of being alive. I said, you'd only be 55 years old, 56 years old. I said, you'd still be able to be alive if, you know, if nothing else happened to you. And she's just asking all these questions. You know, well, well, will I see you again? Yes, we'll see each other in heaven. I said, it'll be different. We're not sure how all that's going to work out or even what heaven is or if we're going to be down here or what. Exactly all the different ins and outs of it. I said, but yes, we will know each other after this life. Am I going to get to see my grandpa and grandma? Yes, you'll be able to meet them. All these questions. But we look here. Jesus is talking to these people about all these things. The most important of all these stories, though, is this. My Father's will is to raise you up at the last day. He says it over 
and over and over. It's the will of God to raise you up at the last day. That when that last day comes, you will be risen up. Whether you're still alive here or whether you're in the grave, He wants to raise you up from this world. He wants to lift you off of this world. And it's only going to happen if certain things are being implemented in your life. This is not a guilt trip. This is not... A, a, a hammer where we have to wonder whether from moment to moment we're saved or not. We can have full confidence in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and yet have no confidence in the flesh. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Moving on. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God. Every man there. For that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. He's bringing it. So, you know, you, you guys ate the kind of food that angels get to eat. At one point, it's called, I call it angel's food, right? You get to eat this food. They got to eat this food that came special made, fell right out of a sky like rain. And even that did not sustain their lives forever. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that man, a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man, except ye rather eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Rome. So now we're finding out he's right there in their church. He's preaching stuff that nobody's ever heard before. There's law in the Old Testament against cannibalism. It's in there. Read it close enough, you'll find it. You're not supposed to eat people. Right? Jesus comes along and said, you need to eat me. <coughs> Go ahead. Take a bite. Mm. Now, it's confusing. Well, obviously, he's not inviting us to take a chomp out of him, mm -hmm. even though they tried to do that with Stephen. They gnashed on him with their teeth. Mm. But he wasn't inviting them to do that. He wasn't inviting them to poke holes in him and collect a, some, some blood. <clears throat> no. We, so we, we know it's got to be something different. And as we've already said, that blood in him was life. Blood outside the body is death, but his blood inside of our body is eternal life. Why? Because it comes from the spotless lamb. And that flesh, that, that body that was never, has never sinned, even the flesh of Jesus Christ, 
as it was glorified, that spotless flesh. He's saying partake of that. Partake of a nature that is beyond sin. Take something inside of you. You know, scientists will tell you everything on this earth eats something else, right? Everything we eat, it used to be living. Unless it was the salt we sprinkle on our food, right? Everything else we eat used to be alive. And when you're eating your salad, technically that stuff's still alive. While you're eating eating it, right? Some people like to, we've been on these charter fishing boats. They pull fish right out of the water. And some of these people like to chop it up right there and have some sashimi right on the boat. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that thing was breathing like a minute before. It's, it's already in their mouth. It, you know, and so scientists will say, well, everything you eat used to be, be alive at one point or another, unless it's the few minerals that it might go along with the, with the food. And we know that eating life sustains our life on a very natural level. The Lord is saying now, Eat something that is completely and totally glorified. Take something inside of you. Take the word and the spirit inside of you. The living word, the living bread, and the living spirit, blood. Like we were saying before when we were doing the communion, the folks at home, even if you have nothing but water. Hey, blood is mostly water. Water is life. Our life is mostly water. Our bodies are mostly water, right? What poured out of Jesus' side? Blood and water. And you can interpret that bloody water. What poured down his face when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, according to the book of Luke? Like great drops of blood, right? They think it was actually his sweat and his tears mingled with broken capillaries. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. He says, what on earth? He just goes on and on and on. And he keeps saying gross and disgusting things. And unless you put me inside of you, you're not going to live forever. And we've got a bunch of folks here today that are filled with the Holy Ghost. Pastor, you're preaching to the choir. Yes. But let me just say this. You might have received the Holy Ghost. You might have read the Word of God. But how many of you ate breakfast this very morning? Probably all of us. I know I did. I ate a piece of cornbread. That's real good breakfast, right? (laughs) Oh, and a bowl of cereal. Sorry, I forgot about that one. Yeah, I ate breakfast today. Sure did. Why? Because I want to live today. I'm breathing in air right now. I've had some water. You've watched me drink water today. Why? Because I want to live right now. What the Lord's trying to get to his people is, yes, I'm glad that you've had an experience. But I don't want you to remember that experience as a religious experience based on a religious doctrine. I want you to have life and that more abundantly. I want you to not just revel in yesteryear, 
when you heard a great message preached by a great man of God. Or I don't want you to just remember the night that God convicted your heart of sin for the first time and you went down to an altar repentant. I don't want you to just remember the night you got your head wet in a tank of water or out in a pond or out in a pool or wherever it was you got baptized. I don't want you to just remember the night that you babble off in tongues for an hour or however long it was that you spoke in tongues for the first time. I want you to be in the Word right now. I want you to be in the Spirit right now. I want you to be partaking of me right now in this moment. Every time you're out in the workplace, when you're at Walmart, when you're with your family, especially God help us, when we're in our families and are not saved or, or just religious and mired in religion, we need to be so full of the Holy Ghost that they either uh, say what's about you or they want you out of their house. They should not be comfortable around you. Everywhere we go, we should be intersecting people so that they don't either they either want to be with us or they want to be a mile away from us. Listen, the Holy Ghost will do it. Because some, some people they'll catch a whiff of you and they'll say, oh, that stinks like death. I gotta get away. And other people will take a whiff of you and the spirit coming off of you and says, That's the best thing I've ever smelled in my life. There's something about you I want I want to know. Back in 2008, I was preaching at a conference in in Jude City, uh, Connecticut. Maybe some of you guys were there. I was preaching. I was preaching hard. I, I didn't do anything in 2008 unless it was hard. And I'd get into the pulpit and start screaming immediately. There's just something on me that year. And uh, I get out of the pulpit after preaching. I'm sweating. I was about 300 pounds. Now, you, you might think I'm fat now. I was fatter then. Just sweating, tired, worked hard. I worked for my paycheck, I'll tell you that much. I worked for my $100 that day. Oh, God help us. I had a man of God come up to me and said, what are you into? I had no idea what he meant. He, and this, this, was a, this is a very respected man of God. I'm not saying anything against him. But he came up to me after church. He said, what are you into? And another smart aleck man of God, and I won't tell you who that guy is either, said, he ain't into nothing. It was just the grace of God's on tonight. Poof! Get out of here. I'm into the spirit of the living God. If you want an answer, I'm into the Holy Ghost right now. That's what I'm into. You didn't just hear a sermon tonight. You heard what thus saith the Lord out of the mouth of one of his holy prophets. <laughs> that's what they were hearing. That's what that man didn't understand because a lot of times we come to church and we're not hearing the spirit word. We're hearing a lot of times a sermon. And I told God a long time ago, I don't want to sermonize. Give me the word of God. No matter how hard it is, no matter how people might dislike me. I asked the Lord again this morning, again, I said, Lord, I turn away from the faces of men. I turn away from caring what people might think about me. Because I knew he was already telling me, you're going to have to start talking about some of these things here today. And immediately my flesh rises up and says, they won't like me if I say that. The Lord says, repent of that right now. And I say, yes, Lord. I repent of caring what people are going to think about me. It doesn't matter what this guy 
looks like or sounds like or his own idiosyncrasies. It matters what thus saith the Lord. And what he's saying is put me in you. Put me in you. Verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, many therefore of his followers, many therefore of the people that said, I have left all to follow you. I have, have I've forsaken my family, my job, my friends, everything, because there's something about you, Jesus, that I'm going to give everything up and I'm going to follow you. But after this day, a lot of those folks said, hmm, eh, we need to rethink this. When they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? What they're really saying is, he just told me that we see him, but we don't believe him. This is a hard saying. You know what they're really saying is? I didn't sign up for the hard sayings. When I signed up to follow Jesus, I assumed it would be all love and fluff. I assumed it would be all free sandwiches out in the wilderness. I figured it would be free wine at the wedding, right? I don't know. Hey, there's going to be some days like that, folks. Jesus is going to change water into wine right in front of you. Yes, he will. You're going to see plenty of days. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim it. You're going to see people being delivered of devils right in front of you. And Jesus is going to do it. And he's going to do it through you. There's going to be a lot of days that you're going to hear the word of God come out of your mouth. In ways that you never expected God could speak through you. But there's some days the word of God is going to come right back to you. And say, have you dug in today? Have you sought my face today? Are you just rolling through the motions today? Let me read a few more verses. He said, this is hard. This is a hard saying. We didn't sign up for the hard sayings. Who, who could possibly hear this? What they're really saying is, no one should have to listen to this garbage. This is, we shouldn't, hey listen, we've sacrificed everything. We shouldn't have to be treated like this. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Now you're going to see Jesus take a little bit of a different tact here. Earlier he said, Woe to the world and woe to that man that causes offense, right? Anybody remember what we read at the beginning? Yep. He says, when people are coming, when people out there are coming against my kids, don't you think they're going to get away with it? But he also said something else. He sandwiched right in the, in the middle of those two pieces of bread. He sandwiched in there. Offenses have to come. He asks his disciples when he understood in his heart that they were murmuring against him. He had just said, don't murmur. Didn't he? Yep. And they're murmuring. Verse 62, what and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? What are you going to do then? What are you going to do then? He says, this offends you? And here's the indication. In order for me to eat Jesus' body and drink his blood, it would kind of have to be because he's dead, right? So that the indication is I have to die in order for you to partake of me. 
And yes, we all get stubborn just like these guys are getting stubborn. We get stubborn into seeing everything on the natural playing field. And Jesus, he does this insidious thing where he's always trying to talk to us by the Spirit. He did it to Nicodemus, right? Mm -hmm. He said, listen, come on, man. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Yeah, I mean, that's easy for us to quote. That's easy for us to understand. It's easy for us because we got, we got the Bible that, that we've read it plenty of times, right? But Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel, and Jesus said, you, being a teacher in Israel, don't understand these things? What he was saying is, you're into the parable type of teaching. You're into the Midrashic stuff. You're into the Mishnaic stuff. You're into making comparisons and, and analogies and all this kind of stuff. And you don't understand what I'm saying? You need to be born again? No, Nicodemus was being stubborn. He should have known, but he, he was refusing to understand that God's talking about something beyond just natural childbirth. These guys are being stubborn. There's something beyond literally <laughs> chomping on somebody and drinking their blood like a cannibal. I mean, he's not asking us to be vampires and ghouls. Come on, we know that. These guys knew that. And he said, did I offend you? Did I mess with your theology? Is that what I did? Oh, shame on me. You notice Jesus didn't do, do this. He didn't apologize. He's like, oh, you want, you want to hear something better than that? What if one of these days soon you see me rise up off the ground and go back to where I came from? Well, they weren't expecting that either. Why? They were expecting him to rise up as a king. They were expecting him to rise up and kick the Romans out and make sure no other invading army comes in. They were expecting him to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, not only kicking uh, the, the Roman governor out, but kick the current king out of there too, right? Him set up his government, and because they're his boys, they're going to have the best of everything. That's what they expected. He says, what if I leave you? Oh, Jesus said he'd never leave or forsake me. You're right. But what if, what if you're walking through this world and you can't feel Jesus? Did he ever guarantee that you'd feel him at all times? He did not. What if we're walking through situations where the living God feels like he's in the next universe? Are you going to believe him only because you see him? But Jesus goes so far as to say, you've seen me, and you don't believe. Later in this book, he said, Thomas, you saw, and you believed. But blessed are those who don't see and believe. Blessed are those who, because they've had an encounter with me, and believe that I do not change, and believe that I am the everlasting God, and believe that if you've taken part of me, you will have everlasting life. Those who, when you can't feel one shred of the Holy Ghost, says, the Lord is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or in other words, I don't lack for anything, because it doesn't, it doesn't matter what my eyes see, my ears hear, my poor little hurt feelings feel. God is with me. Hallelujah. I want to talk about faith. This is faith point. This is faith square, right? Come on. This is when you don't see anything. You don't see any evidence. It's easy to believe in God when you're feeling good. 
It's easy to believe in God when you've got plenty of money in your wallet. It's easy to believe in God when everything's going right. But when things don't go right, it's harder to believe. Amen. But he's not saying you shouldn't. Verse 63, and it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh, this is where I'm trying to get to here, folks. I'm all, almost done. Everybody all right? Yep. You guys online all right? You still with me or did, did they shut me out? No. Okay, they're still here. Good. It is the spirit that quickeneth. That's an old way of saying it's the spirit that makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The flesh profiteth nothing. In a hundred years, we'll all be dead if the Lord doesn't come back. Every single one of us. Come on, we've all heard the old song. It's what you do for Christ that will last. <coughs> the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. He quoted that, he said that earlier. Or something similar. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have, you not, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? And of course, we know he's speaking about Judas. Now, it, it sounds like Jesus is trying to not encourage his folks. It sounds almost like he's trying to make them believe. <coughs> There's sometimes the Lord will do this. I've experienced it in my life. There's, it's almost like... Well, it's not almost like. It's exactly what was going on. There were times the Lord gave me such a hard word that I had to make a decision. Sometimes you have to do this every once in a while, folks. You have to make a decision. Is this life worth it? Am I going to continue on with Jesus? Or am I, am I going to give up and just go the way that's easier for me? Now, some of you, when you have mental difficulties, you're okay with it. Other people, you can't handle it. Some of you, when you have physical difficulties, you can handle it. Some of you can't. Others, if it's an emotional difficulty, you can handle it. Some of you can. Some of you, it's financial. Some of you can handle that. Some of you can't. It, the Lord knows all the triggers. And so does the devil. Jesus is, it, it very much looks like what he's doing is he's trying to push them away. It very much looks like he's giving them every opportunity to say, we're out of here. And I wonder, I often wonder, if that's exactly what God wants us to be doing all the time. We've got to be led by the Spirit, of course. There are days of encouragement. Like we said before, there are days for the miracles. Mm -hmm. There's other days where the Lord says, partake, partake. You won't make it without me. 
I'm going to Calvary. You guys going to follow me? He knew Judas wasn't going to follow him. And yet he called him specifically. And Judas did not walk away. We know Judas did not walk away this day. He kept with him for another six months. But he says he knew. He knew from the beginning which ones weren't really going to believe and which ones were going to, or which one particular was going to betray him. He knew it all along. That's the reason why earlier he said, this is the will of my father, that everyone he's given me, I will not lose a single one of them, and those that are mine, I will raise up at the last day. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I want to be risen up in the last day. Whether I'm in the ground or whether I'm still on uh, this earth, I want to be risen up at the last day. Lord God, I know it's your will for me that I don't perish, but that I be raised up at the last day. Does anybody in this room here, does anybody online here believe that word? Yes. Come on, let's reach out to the Lord God here today. Oh, the Lord said something. Uh, we said something a little late, uh, earlier today. Let this thing work on you all day. Let it work on you all day. Come on, let this examination work on you all day. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, there's, there's so much temptation to say, Pastor, when are we going to get to the good stuff? You've gotten the good stuff. Hallelujah. You've gotten it. You heard it. This is the good stuff. This is the stuff that's going to see you through to the end. Come on, let's reach out to him. Folks, let's reach out to him. Come on, you people online. Don't hide behind your screen here today. Come on, don't just shut me off because I can't see you. The Lord sees you. Come on, let's dig in for a minute. For a few minutes. Oh, Lord God. Examine me again. Examine my motivations. What are my motivations? Are my motivations just to have a good life? Are my motivations... Or just for you to set up a natural kingdom here? Or my motivations for you just to give me all kinds of naturalistic blessing? Lord God, is it your will that we just grow a nice, beautiful, million-dollar facility? And win all kinds of people with all kinds of impressive programs? Lord Jesus, Lord. Is it your will for us to partake of you? To follow you to Calvary? To lead other people to Calvary? Hallelujah, Lord God. Are we here to just play nice, nice religion? Are we here to be part of the true kingdom of God? Lord God, on this day, where there's a colossal decision to be made, hallelujah, Lord God, will the blood be applied? Or when the death angel passes over, will it see an uncovered home? Oh, Lord God, we know that the angel is passing over this night. Lord God, we know that today is the day of decision. Where our houses will either be marked or unmarked for you. That the Lamb's blood will either be on us or not. It will either be in us or not. You will either have come into our homes or you won't have been. Lord God, help us. Help us, help us to make that decision again today. Oh, 
Thank you, Lord God, for the, the natural pictures you've laid down for us that we might take it up into the spirit level, oh God. Lord God, teach us to partake of your flesh and to eat your blood, uh, drink your blood. Lord God, teach us what it means on the spirit level. Help us not to be educated fools. Oh, Lord God, thinking we have all of our theology straight. Lord God, mess up our theology if that's what you want. Hallelujah, Lord God. Offend us if that's what's needed, oh God. Oh, Lord God, challenge us if that's what's needed, oh God. So that we'd be real with you. Lord God, I don't want to come this far and walk away. I don't want to come this far and give up. Because I feel a little overwhelmed. Teach me, Lord God, that when I'm overwhelmed, that I run to you, oh God. And I run to the rock. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, if your words offend, let me understand that they are spirit. And that they are life. We need you, Lord God. We need you every hour. We need you every minute. We need you every breath. We need you every heartbeat. We need you, oh God. Oh, Lord God, we need you to be leading us, guiding us. We need you even on the hard days. We need you. Lord God, help us. Help us. Lord God, even when we say in the depths of our heart, this is a hard say. Who needs to be listening to this? Lord God, help us to listen to it. To obey it. To let faith grow in us. Faith that we didn't even need, uh, know we needed, Lord God, let it grow in us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for teaching us about the last day, oh God. Lord God, I want to be risen up at the last day. I want your people here. I want your people under my authority. I want them to raise up at the last day. I want them to go with you on the last day, Lord God. I want the resurrection and the life on the last day, Lord God. I don't want religion on the last day. Lord God, I don't want some vain tradition on the last day. I want you to be my life, to be my quickening on the last day, Lord God. Quicken me now, together with you and with your people, O God. In the name of Jesus, we cut off all guilt. We cut off all condemnation. We cut off all deception from the enemy. We cut off all spirit of perversion that would try to twist this word. We cut it off in the name of Jesus. We bind you, Prince, with the power of the air. We bind you. You will not damn this word. You will not drop this word out. You will not twist this word in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord God, let this word Hallelujah. go into the hearts and minds and spirits of your people, unadulterated, pure from heaven, Lord God. 
Lord God, if I've made mistakes here today, forgive me, Lord God, and let them be utterly abolished from the memory of your people. Lord God, let only that which is spirit and life from heaven, Lord God, go into the memory and minds and hearts of your people. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, the resurrection is coming, folks. Oh, the resurrection is coming. The resurrection is coming. And I want to be risen up on the last day, don't you? Don't you? Raise us up on the last day, Lord God. Raise us up on the last day. Can we stand together? Give God thanks for the word.